<laughs> well, um, it, this is a small room, and I like it. So thank you. Thanks for being in here, you guys. Uh, Peter and I are just so excited um, to be able to share with you. And uh, what I love about the ARC is we don't just get inspired, which, by the way, how incredible was that Joel Osteen session? My goodness, so thankful. Um, that's what humility looks like. Um, and, and, but I also love that at the ark, we get to roll up our sleeves. And so here's, here's the goal. Uh, what Peter and I want to do is we are, and I have a, a clock here, so we're going to try and keep ourselves to it. Um, but we want to share for no more than 30 minutes with the goal that we can have at least 30 minutes of Q and A. And so, um, as we're talking, we're going to, so we're going to come at you a little bit fire hose here for the first few minutes, and but the whole goal is that we can have conversation because there's we could go a million different directions, uh, but the truth is we just want to give you a lexicon so that we can have a good Q&A, um, and so we're really just going to kind of talk around four different directions today as it relates to this idea of leading at an executive level or leading an executive leadership team is really kind of what we're going to circle around. So um, uh, why don't we take a couple minutes, Peter? Um, why don't you just take two minutes for the person who goes... Uh, who is Peter Haas? What is Substance Church? Give us the give us the quick 90-second, two-minute version of that, and I'll do the same with Next Level. So I pastored a church for about nine years in central Wisconsin, didn't do a very good job, resigned it, planted 15 years ago, almost 15 years ago in the ark. We were church plant number 15 in right in the middle of 16 universities in Minneapolis, St. Paul. Um, just basically created a college student church uh, that had zero finances. We turned to portable multi-site out of economic necessity and had some growth spurts, um, prematurely expanded to seven services in four locations. Uh, we were not ready for decentralized multi-site, but it was kind of, uh, you know, the iron was hot. We made all sorts of great, fantastic mistakes, which we'll probably share with you in terms of expanding our exec teams. And we were hiring a little bit too quick and um, had to ground the plane, went into a season of plateau, saved up for some buildings. Now we are a dual site. We went with larger, we consolidated our four campuses into two uh, larger campuses. And so we have a 2000 seater in downtown Minneapolis, right in the skyline. And then we have um, our, our broadcast campus is on the north side um, of similar size, but we uh, basically are just camped on the two campuses until we could reorganize our team for um, more. But a lot of the concepts that I want to share with you today are just all the different things that I did with my staff that just weren't scalable. And I wasn't meeting with the right people. Uh, I wasn't having the right meetings with the right people at the right table at the right time. And when those things are out of sync, your your organization can't scale. And so I'm just going to kind of share some of the, the dumb things that we did in hopes that you guys might be able to um, do it better than us. So one of the things you're going to notice is uh, Peter and I are our best friends, um, spend a lot of time together, our families vacation together, our kids are essentially the same age. Uh, and so we go back about 10 years, we, we pulpit swap for each other um, once a year. And so so we're best friends. And yet we're about as opposite as you can get. Um, and so, so even from a, 
Lots of amening on that. <laughs> yeah. So um, even even on a leadership level, and so I think that's honestly why uh, Mark Cleary and the Ark paired us together because you're going to be able to kind of see uh, heads and the tails of this, but it's both sides of the same coin or two sides of the same coin. So uh, our story is my wife and I moved to Southwest Florida, born and raised in Indiana, moved 17 years ago to start Next Level Church, had a huge dream in our heart, no clue what we were doing. This was pre-Ark. Uh, and so we launched with $9,200 to our name, uh, which is not a lot of money, even back in the Stone Ages 17 years ago. So um, it, it, God's just been faithful. And so we knew a lot about what we didn't want to be in church. Come on, somebody. Uh, but not a lot about what we did want to be in church. And so nine months into our, our struggling church plant in Fort Myers, um, I, I got hooked up with Randy Bazette. Uh, and, and Rick Bazette and Chris Hodges and Dino Rizzo. And uh, I attended my first ARC meeting, which I call the last small ARC meeting. There were about 55 of us around six round tables, uh, about as many people as in this room probably right now. And um, literally, Greg Surratt slid his chair that way. Rick Bazette slid his chair that way. And they said, come on, pull up a chair. And so they've been letting me pull up a chair as a brother ever since. And so um, so I would not be where I am today if it weren't for, for Pastor Chris, Pastor Greg, and these guys uh, just taking me in as a brother. So our story is one of just kind of figuring it out. Yeah. Um, today, we have three locations. We're getting ready to launch our fourth location um, in, in West in Cape Coral uh, this fall. And a dream center as well. Um, so how big is your staff right now? I don't know. I think around, how big is it, Nate? Okay. Okay, good. So, and we have about 47 staff. So here's what we know. We know that in the room, uh, today that, that there are, is there are people who have, uh, you are barely full time and you're, you're a few months in or a couple years in, and you're still just trying to figure out the leadership team thing. And we also know that in this room, there are probably people who are multi-site, uh, like our locations are. And so again, in wrestling down some of this material, it was like, well, where do we even start? Like, how do we do this? And so, uh, we want to speak in generalities and then allow the Q and a to really zero in on the specifics for where you're living. Cause we want to be as helpful in this hour as we possibly can be. Sound good? So let's pray. Father, we're just so thankful. We need your spirit and your presence. And God, we know that right now, Lord, the only reason we all sit in this room is because we want to be better. We want to be better leaders. We want to lead our team better. And we want to we see your bride flourish more effectively in our city than ever before. So God, lead our conversation. May our words be seasoned with salt. Lord, may we not speak in our own flesh, our own power, but in yours. In Jesus' name, Amen. So four thoughts, four thoughts on leading your executive team well. Four thoughts on leading your executive team well. Here's the first thought. Number one, uh, we want to talk around who to lead. Number one is who to lead. We're going to talk around who to lead. And so so Peter and I got together last week online and just were kind of talking around it. And really three characteristics Peter fell out uh, in terms of this, the who of a good executive leader around you as a, as a lead pastor. The first one, number one thing that fell out, Pete, was this idea of they've got to be called to us as a lead couple. So, so who is a good executive leader in your church? Someone who's called to us as a lead couple. What would you say about that? Well, imagine if you were doing pre-marriage counseling and you saw this couple and imagine if she was absolutely gorgeous and this dude was just the exact opposite. And you're just thinking to yourself, why are you together? Like, how did you guys meet each other? Does he have the greatest personality on planet Earth or what? Okay, so you separate them, okay? And you talk to her and you're like, okay, I just, I'm so curious. What, 
what do you love about him? And she says, you know what? Actually, it's funny you mentioned that. I can't stand him. Actually, I just, everything about him is repulsive. I hate his humor. His personality grates against me. I just, honestly, everything about him, I hate it. But the Lord told me one time that I was going to have a house exactly like the one he lives in with the fence and everything. It looks identical to the one the Lord spoke to me about. And that someday I was going to have a daughter just like his daughter and an Aunt Susan just like his Aunt Susan. And I just know this is God. Okay, now you would never say that's a healthy marriage, okay? That's not a healthy pretext to marriage. And yet, that's the exact scenario that people allow on their staff all the time. They allow people to be called to their house. They allow people to be called to the other people in the house. They allow people to be called to all sorts of things, to a salary, but not to them. And there's only one reason why you should be married, so to speak. And it's if, a per, if you're called to each other, a divine chemistry. So I don't allow any execs on my staff who are there for the salary, are there for the opportunity, I don't want them there for the opportunity because the opportunity will constantly change in the needs of the house. So There's going to be Peter. diapers that have to change. And so you want, you, want a, you want staff, especially executives who are there for divine chemistry, not opportunity. Here's how we'd say it. Sarah and I, my wife and I have learned who we co-lead together uh, as Peter and Carolyn do. Um, one of the w things that we've learned over the last few years is that we would say in terms of the, the right who of executive leadership, we would say um, you're looking for sons and daughters, not just brothers and sisters. Uh, and there's a whole lot of conversation we can have around sons and daughters versus brothers and sisters. But when you're talking about leading at an executive level, when we talk about the who, it, that first thing is they've got to be called to you as a lead couple, not just called to your house. Here's the second thought under that. They've gotta, they're called to execute the vision, not necessarily create it. And this is a big one, especially as your church grows. They've got to be called to execute the vision, not necessarily create it. The, the, one of the nuances of church planting is entrepreneurship. Like, we love it. Like, we're serial entrepreneurs. And so even in the early days, you draw people with an entrepreneurial, man, we're going to create something out of nothing to you. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's, it's necessary. Like, you have to have those kinds of people. But the idea here is that we want to make sure you understand is when you're talking about who's a right example, executive, someone who's right to have near you. And again, we could go a thousand directions, but something else that fell out for us was this idea of people who, who are going, man, tell us to play and we'll go run the play. That even if we're not in the room when the play was thought up, because right. as your church grows and it expands and multi-services and more staff and multiple departments and teams, and then eventually multiple campuses, it's just not possible for everybody to be in on every decision made. So you've got to have people around you who go, okay, whether I'm in on the, on the decision-making or not, either way, I know I'm called to execute the vision. So tell me the play, pastor, and we'll go rock and roll. Well, and there's a tendency, I think, that as our churches are growing to want to, in order to get high-level leaders to the table, you start to share the vision which never really works well. Okay, so for example, one of my biggest weaknesses as a, a young senior pastor was that I was overly collaborative in moments when I needed to be the exact opposite. And of course, I was collaborative because I wanted to create ownership. The problem is, is then I was creating die vision, two visions. And I, I was allowing people to have too much opinion on, on who I hired. So then when I did start, when I hired somebody without asking my exec one time, he freaked out at me. And I'm like, 
oh, I created that expectation in him that gave him this feeling like I owed him uh, a bazillion conversations. And I, I just, over the years, I, I just, I know that sounds kind of funny, but um, to, to, it's actually better. Our church, I've noticed this over the years, just watching a lot of churches. It's better that um, our staff is united around a mediocre idea from me than it is that our staff would be divided with a million great ideas. My goodness. Uh, the best ideas. My goodness. Um, it's, it's better for the staff to be united around a mediocre idea. Why? Because God anoints unity, not necessarily just the idea. I sometimes think that our, our church, because what happens is, is if the idea is bad, eventually that the, 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 it's going to reveal itself. This is not a great idea for a growth track that you thought up, pastor, or this is not a, that, that was probably not the best idea for a campus pastor. You know what I'm saying? But eventually that'll tease itself right, out. And then right. we're all going to be in unity about correcting it too. It's actually beautiful. Whereas a lot of these churches where they're overly collaborative, they just sit around and debate and they just never really get anything done. And then, then it's always emotional about it's then, then the entire environment of the church so is big, all about man. expectation management instead of about moving the ball down the field. And so it's better to have everybody united around a mediocre idea as a senior leader, but you have to train that into your staff. So we're talking about who to lead. Number three, so number one, call to us as a lead couple. Number two, call to execute the vision, not necessarily create it. Number three, call to disarm problems, not magnify them to you. Call to who we're talking about, who is a good executive leader for you in your church? Someone who is called to disarm problems, not magnify them to you. Here's how we say it in our organization. Your upline is not your downline. So, so we need leaders. So in other words, if you have a problem below you, the, your upline is not necessarily the best way to solve that problem. So here's, here's the point. The point is um, you need leaders around you, especially as your church is growing and expanding and God is blessing, then that, that will take problems off of you right. and that they will come in with solutions and they don't even have to be good solutions, but they'll come in with solutions to problems. Not if, if, if you have team members around you who, you when it's time for your one-on-one -on -one meeting with them, you go, <sighs> because you know they're going to bring in three huge problems that they just can't seem to figure out that you're like, these are not actually huge problems. You right. could be able to figure this out. Come on, my man. Like, Pastor the, Matt, the, I just need more money. Right. I just need like, more staff. Well, come on. You need to understand, Pastor Matt, how hard my area is and how hard right. it is to recruit okay. and how technical that. it is. And exactly. So who to lead? Three things. Again, we could talk a thousand directions here and we want to get, well, so I'm trying to keep yeah. us on pace, baby. Number two is what to do. Number one, who to lead. Number two, what to do. So you, you check in my outline here. There's no A's and B's. It's all ones and twos. And then there's ones and twos under ones and twos. So stay with me. Number one, who to lead. Number two, what to do. Uh, let me speak to this for a few minutes here in terms of how to lead, what to do with an executive leadership team. A, a few general thoughts here, and I hope these are probing uh, and, and spur, spawning good questions and, and thoughts from you because we can talk about it. Here's the first thought. I have three thoughts under this. Uh, number one, as your church grows, your meetings have to change. As your church grows, your meetings have to change. And so the, the, your structure and system for meetings a, as your church is smaller or younger will be different than, so, so about every year or so, maybe sometimes less time than that, you've got to reevaluate who's in what meeting and why, including you. 
Because there are sometimes meetings I find myself in that I'm actually really good in, that I really like, that really energize me, but I actually have, my team is good enough, like that they understand the vision enough that they can do this without me. And at that point, it's just redundancy or ego because I just actually like that meeting as so I want to be in that meeting. Well, man, there, I can be used, I can come up higher if I can get out of that meeting. Does that make sense? So, so every, with every season change, in your church, reevaluate the purpose behind every meeting you have, why you're having those meetings, the frequency with which you have them. Because there are some meetings that, that in your church you may have monthly, but then you'll move into another season. And it's like, oh man, we need to be talking about this every week. Like, okay, or vice versa, or we have it every week. And we, uh, you know what? If we do this once every six weeks, we're probably, that's enough communication. Like we can, we can figure out a t- another tool for us other than all of us being in the same room around one table. So, so as your church grows, your meetings have to change. Uh, here's a second thought under this one. Let different kinds of meetings have different purposes. In terms of leading at, an, at your executive team, at, uh, thinking like an executive, you have to let different kinds of meetings have different purposes. Let me give you four. I told you I have points under points under points. I'm an outline guy. My mind, I have a photographic memory, so my mind thinks in outline form. Anyway, you don't care. Here's, here, here's four, four kinds of meetings, four kinds of meetings, and this is big. This will help you. Decision-making meetings, strategy meetings, relational meetings, informational meetings. Decision-making meetings, strategy meetings, relational meetings, informational meetings. One more time. Decision-making meetings, strategy meetings, relational meetings, informational meetings. So let me go backwards. Informational meetings, no decisions are being made. Hey, everybody. Here's three things you need to know. Boom. So we have a staff of 47 right now. We get together every Tuesday morning, all of our locations, all of our central staff, 9 to 10 a.m. We do some worship. We celebrate some wins. Uh, somebody teaches a 20-minute message on values and whatever. I'll talk about that after a while. And, and, but there is no decision being made in that staff meeting because 47 people is too many to make any decision ever. So, so that's an informational meeting. Does that make sense? A relational meeting is when we're trying to, to, man, how are you? And how's it going? And tell me how are your kids? And how's it going? That's a relational meeting. A strategy meeting is what's our philosophy on this? Like it's some of those bigger 90 minute to two hour, maybe three hour offsite kind of conversations about, man, we need to revamp how we think about and do baptism in our church. Well, that's not something we're going to do for 30 minutes or 20 minutes in a meeting. We're going to need 90 minutes to two hours to, to, to figure out our strategy and our plan for revamping baptism in the next six months. Does that make sense? Strategy type meetings. Then there are decision-making meetings. And these are decision, these are meetings that, that where it's like, here's the deal. Here's the frame. Here's the issue. We got to make a decision. So watch this. Where teams get in trouble and motivation and morale go through the floor is when we try and accomplish too many of those purposes with one meeting. Because people come in with expectations. They're like, man, he never even asked me how my kids are doing. I love you. This is not the meeting for that. We had 25 minutes to figure out the decision we need to make about this weekend. It's a decision-making meeting. So watch this. As your church grows, you have to, you have to, each meeting, you'll, you will, you should be having more meetings with less purpose. Because when you're young and everybody's volunteer, like you got two hours on Sunday night before everybody goes back to work. And so you got to, man, how's the kids? And oh, what do we think about baptism? We, like you're going to try and do that. Okay, but watch this. You got to be very organized to be able to pull that off. 
or else people will start to lose morale. And it'll, the, the meeting will get muddy. But as your church grows, you've got to think through what's the purpose of this meeting and then be very clear about that. And whenever the conversation starts to wander off in another direction, graciously as a leader, be able to pull that back and go, hey, guys, that's a great conversation about what we think about communion. We actually needed to have build a strategy on baptism. So somebody write down communion. We'll talk about that in another meeting. Do you see it? Makes sense? Here's the third thought about, about meetings. Number three, drive decision-making down as much as possible. Drive decision-making down as much as possible. So we're talking about what to do as your church grows, your meetings have to change, different kinds of meetings. And then the truth is, again, from an executive level, you want to try this. The goal is always, can somebody else at a lower level, so to speak, of this organization make this decision? Like for us, as we have a seven people on our executive team, Sarah and I, and five execs. And it's like, man, when, when something hits that table, we are always asking the question, can nobody, like the next-gen team, they couldn't solve that. Our Bonita Springs location team, they couldn't solve that issue. It's got to come all the way up to the seven of us. So you want to constantly be driving decisions down as much as you possibly can. Make sense? All right, back to the big numbers. Number three, how to do it. So number one, who to lead. Number two, what to do. Big number three, how to do it. We're going quick. You got, you tracking? You guys are tracking. Don't worry. It's after lunch. You'll be fine. Okay. So, so under, under how to do it, there's two, two things we want to go. We want to talk about vision and values, vision and values. And so Pete, uh, Peter, I'm going to look at you. Um, sorry, when we're in a friendship. Team me, me up for, with, yes, it was the I will. Sunset yes. Teaching. Thank you. Okay. So one of the, one of the teachings and some of our, our next level relational network guys are in here and you've heard me teach this a lot, but through the years, but there's a, uh, when it comes to vision, let me talk around vision for a second. I will often use the illustration, the vision of your church is like a sunset. Okay, so everybody close your eyes real quick. Close your eyes, close your eyes. Okay, picture a sunset in your mind. Got it? Okay, open your eyes. So if we started to go around the room and ask what your picture was, some of you may describe mountains because you live in Denver and there's mountains and you see the sunset over the mountains. I live in Fort Myers and so we, I see Sanibel Island and the sunsets over, the, uh, over Sanibel Island and the Sanibel Bridge and it's beautiful. Some of you may live in a city and the sunsets you know, over a bridge of your city or over the, the, the cityscape of, of your building. Okay, whose sunset is right? Whose sunset is wrong? Well, nobody's. And watch this. There's no right or wrong sunset, but watch. The same is true when you say the word church to your team or to your church. Everybody has a different picture in their head that they think church should look like. Well, whose picture is right? Whose picture is wrong? Nobody's. Everybody's. Except that the Bible says the anointing flows down. And so watch this. Lead pastors, it is our responsibility to begin to constantly be uh, describing the picture of the sunset that our specific church is called to paint on the canvas of our community. Because if your church is going to be maximally effective for the harvest, it will only be because you, your executive team, all your leaders, your core volunteers, and your entire church are all painting the same picture of the sunset that your church is specifically called to paint on the canvas of your community. But when you walk into your kids' ministry and you go, this isn't at all the vision, what happened? What happened is you didn't describe a picture for them to paint, and so they painted the picture like they thought it was supposed to look in their head. You said, go make a kid's ministry, and they ran off and did it, and 120 days later, you walked in and went, this ain't it. Well, what is that? That's a sunset issue. We're not painting the same picture. So with that in mind, 
Go ahead, Peter. Okay, because really what the, the sunset metaphor really can encompass all the values, all the vision, the DNA, and you're trying to communicate it. But in some ways, I, so like that, just so you know, that teaching rocked me. And for years, I had to weigh that out because that was my biggest problem. We had expanded into four locations because we could, because the iron was hot and because there were little pockets of transfer growth we could tap into at the time. And then all of a sudden I realized, then when, when that ran out and we had to actually do it the real way, discipling people, and I would show up at our different campuses and I'd be like, oh my gosh, the worship suddenly turned into disaster at that. I mean, I could barely get three Sundays in a row where they would just paint the right sunset. And I was like, what am I doing wrong to communicate? And in some ways, the sunset metaphor breaks down because um, in real life, let's be honest, the sunset's evolving, and here's why, okay? The sunset and the vision was this until that happened, until you had to fire that person and that family left, and then all the money left, and then, or, or it could be good things too. The vision was this until somebody gave us a million dollars. You know what I'm saying? It could be the, like, and then we had to say, okay, let's make it bigger. Okay, so, um, you know, opportunities and obstacles are always always changing the sunset. So this is kind of a moving thing. And even more than that, we have an enemy that's actually trying to obstruct us. Okay. So I like to use a football metaphor because it's kind of like, uh, to, to put it this way, um, the, the, the goal is the sunset, which is the sunset is to win the football game, right? Um, but you're doing against an adversary that constantly demands that you change what, how you do it. Okay. And how you win. And so what you need is an entire playbook that anticipates the enemy and the obstacles and the opportunities. And your team is all synchronized about how you're doing it, okay? So um, the reason I'm sharing all this is because I actually believe that 99% of all leaders fail in terms of their meetings because um, they don't have a functional playbook and meeting structure for each one of those obstacles, okay? So for example, uh, every time I meet a pastor who, who's frustrated about how their organization is um, growing, it's usually due to one of five um, playbook failures, okay? Now, let me just, we're gonna do this really fast. I do have the notes online as well. So if you go to peterhaas.org um, forward slash playbook, um, there's all the notes there, okay? So peterhaas.org forward slash playbook, okay? But here they are. One of these five failures, a failure to expand the playbook to the level of your adversary. Your church is growing. So does your playbook. The enemy's always adjusting, creating chaos. You have to expand the playbook to the level of your adversary. But, uh, you know, it's new operating procedures, okay? The second failure is the failure of quarterbacking more than coaching, okay? You're, you're working in the ministry, not on the ministry. And you're so busy writing sermons and, and doing your weekly thing that you're not actually spending enough time sharing the sunset, giving the playbook, okay? That's the second failure. Number three, a failure of training a single quarterback to do it who may get injured or leave, okay? Uh, I'll, I'll hit these one more time. Number four, a failure to discipline the team when they fail to run the play. You gave them a play, they didn't run it, and you're like, it's all good. We're family. We're forgiving, Okay? Number five, when you're disciplining the team, the failure of disciplining them properly. Okay, so it's, it's number four is failure to discipline. 
Number five is failure to discipline properly. Just, you know, just stick with me real quick, okay? Because every time you try to grow your organization, it doesn't work out that way. It's one of these five failures, okay? So in every one of these failures, let me tell you, every one of these failures cost me a full year of growth when it came to my team, okay? Failure to expand the playbook to the level of my adversary. Um, my church had amazing worship at it um, until I started adding services and campuses. But then what do you do? You start spreading out the talent. And the talent goes here and the talent goes there. And I had lots of talent, but not talent who knows the full playbook. And so they were by themselves at that campus only understanding one third of the playbook. Now they could sing really well, but that didn't mean that they could recruit other people very well that they could pastor them very well, that they could organize those things very well. And at one campus, I showed up and one of the worship band members had a beer t-shirt on, okay? Another campus, I, I had a worship team the entire worship team had their shoes off. And I'm looking at this one dude with the funkiest toenail. And all I could see was this really hairy, long toe. And I couldn't even focus on the Lord because the glory was shining off of his funky athlete's foot. And I was just like, and, and, and you know, I kept thinking, who gave them permission to take their shoes off? Like, right? Uh, nobody wants to look at a dude's bare feet, but you know what? I had to take responsibility for it because I didn't put it in the playbook. I needed to suddenly expand the playbook and say, listen, all of our campuses, so all of our worship band will have shoes on. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you like the holy ground metaphor. I don't care if you're a hippie. You're going to have shoes on. We're not going to have beer t-shirts on, right? You see... When you don't have a playbook, people will improvise. And when the football team improvises, it usually doesn't result in a touchdown. Now, it might every wow, once wow, in a while, wow, wow. but most of the time it doesn't, right? Okay? It, 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 most of the time it will be ugly toes, okay? So, um, and, and think about it. In a well-established church, there's all sorts of playbooks that you don't even, you, you're not even consciously observing, but when you plan to church yep. and you have to build everything from scratch, the whole playbook has to right. come from you, okay? So right. what's the solution? Well, then in that situation, you got to focus your meetings on playbook expansion, okay? Which is kind of what you're talking about or failure of quarterbacking more than coaching. You're just too busy writing sermons or too busy whatever. You got to shift out of that. Uh, the third thing, failure of training a single quarterback who may get in or to leave. I used to have a, um, uh, uh, a quarterback, an amazing worship pastor who I taught him everything. I mean, I had, you know, like in the NFL, they have like a 400 page playbook. I taught him every single philosophy I ever had about worship. And trust me, I've got a lot of them. Okay. Well, what I never ever and expected is that he would take a job at another church. And the whole playbook went with him. The whole, I mean, we went from being an NFL team to barely being peewee football the next week. And let me tell you, the whole church saw it. And it was devastating. But half the reason why it was devastating is because I should have been smart enough to always have a minimum of three quarterbacks who know the entire playbook, even if they were volunteers so good, that I would have logged more hours. And, and so I never allow any ministry to have a single rock star. It's kind of like you put it, if your solution has a name, it will fail. Okay. Never have a singular person in charge of any ministry or that's not scalable. And so I would never add a service or even add a campus. So, you know, or even, just, I mean, you can't grow with a scalable system if your solution has a name. Okay. You always have to have multiple quarterbacks. And so uh, number four, a failure to discipline the team when they run the play. What good is a playbook if, if your staff think it's optional? 
It's optional that they block. It's optional if they run the ball. So um, coming back to the barefoot worship band, um, I made the rule, you guys are going to wear shoes, okay? Everything was great for six months until all of a sudden I showed up and there was another couple barefooted people. And I went to my worship guy and I'm like, dude, I had a rule. And he goes, oh, I didn't think you, I thought you were just being really upset that one Sunday. No, I don't want to look at a dude's feet. I don't want to look at his toes. And then he goes, and then he literally started pushing back. But listen, that guy gives a lot of money and he's a key leader. He's one of my key leaders. And I'm like, I don't care if he's a key leader. Tell him to put his shoes on. And I, I just, what good is the playbook if nobody enforces it? And, and so, um, you know, then so my point is, if that's your problem, then you need to have meetings where the whole purpose of the meeting is teaching your staff how to have the tough conversations. Right. Like you say, right. we're just one tough conversation away from a breakthrough. Right. So um, it's, it's, it's forcing staff to have debriefing meetings after you know, a lot of our staff, they just don't care enough to have a debriefing. What, how, how did we do? What was working? What wasn't working? What's missing? What's confusing? And last but not least, the failure of playbook enforcement done well. I had this one staff member who he, so if you think about, um, he knew that there was a tough conversation to have, you know, because every ministry is one tough conversation away from a breakthrough, right? He knew there was a tough conversation to have, and he was very excited to have those tough conversations. He wasn't afraid of confrontation. The only problem was he was terrible at it. And so he'd always come to me and say, Pastor, I want to take all the tough conversations off your plate. I want to be the most helpful staff member ever, to which I was like, I'm so blessed. You know what I mean? Just having people who are willing to have tough conversations is awesome, right? The only problem is he was terrible at it. Instead of disarming the bomb by cutting the blue wire, he would just kick it. And then it would blow up. All sorts of people would die. And then guess who has to come in and clean it up anyway? Yes, dude, It wasn't on. helping it's me. Right. And so that's good. why. It, it, so, like, I don't want executives who aren't good at cutting the right wire. You know what I'm saying? It's not wow. helping me. And so that's kind of the fifth problem. But the reason why I'm bringing these five things up is because if you don't diagnose which of these five you're struggling at, you won't have your meetings focused on the right thing because your church will be have one of these problems at different phases, and maybe you're like, I have all five. Okay, well then, slow it down. Don't be adding services right, right. now. Get yes. your systems right so that you're ready to scale. Otherwise, th these will be exposed. It, so, so that's awesome, by the way. That's, so is that right? Yes. Okay, good. So uh, we want to resource you, so I got a couple. Of, I'm going to explain these here in the next two minutes. So, so we're under number three, how to do it, vision, the sunset, the five thoughts Peter gave you. Now the second component of this, how to do it, is the values side of it. Watch this. As your church grows and your leadership team starts to grow and mature, there, there, is, there, there, is, there are what we call leadership behavioral values. In other words, this is how we behave here. This is what we value in leadership behavior here. And so those have to go from discovery to dissemination. Because when your church is younger or smaller, they live in your heart or they live in the lead couple's heart and people just kind of pick up on it 
kind of. But as your church and leadership team grows, you have to start to thread those, pull that thread out of your heart and go, this is who we actually are. So this one, and, and this is case specific, by the way, bit.ly slash all caps NLC, which is Next Level Church, LBV, Leadership Behavioral Values, and the number one. If you go there, there's a PDF of our seven. You don't have to do our seven, of course, but you need to figure out what your leadership behavioral values are. So when someone hires on to Next Level Church's staff or becomes a high-level coach or a assistant coach in one of our, our locations, we walk them through this and we basically say, this is how you'll succeed here because this is the values that we live by and operate by all the time. So staff reviews, all of that lives uh, there with our seven leadership behavioral values. So so um, so talking about how we do it, uh, and then, so then let me give you the big number four. Ready? Big number four. And that is how do you lead an executive team? How to, how to lead them. So number one, who to lead. Number two, what to do. Number three, how to do it. Number four, how to lead them. How to lead them. So um, there is a 25-minute teaching uh, that is that I just taught at our Next Level Relational Network uh, lead pastors track that we have, which is kind of our, our coaching network. We dropped the word coaching. but um, And so I taught a 25-minute teaching on three concepts. If people are going to grow in your church, anybody, and if leaders are going to excel, they need three things. They need to be known, loved, and challenged. They need to be known, loved, and challenged. And if any of those three things are missing, they will not grow effectively. And the truth is there's actually three things that they will become. They'll become easily legalistic, easily discouraged, or easily offended. Okay, now watch this. That teaching that you can take home with you from the ark and show your staff in your next staff meeting, high res, HD, whatever, is right here. NLC, KLC, Known Love Challenge. Next Level Church, Known Love, all caps. So that 25-minute staff teaching is there. So I'm not going to break down Known Love Challenged and all of that because it's on that video for you. Does that make sense? And so you guys, it's gift. brilliant. Thanks, Peter. Because if one of those three ingredients are missing its very predictable outcomes, and you can actually diagnose a lot of your staff problems in advance um, once you know which of those three they're per they perceive they're missing. So let me teach your staff meeting next week or next month, and that'll, that'll help you with how, how to challenge your staff. Sound good? So we have good, we did pretty well. We have yeah. about 20 or so minutes, 25 minutes here for Q&A. Well, I know we went fast. That was completely intentional because now we just want to get down in the weeds with you and, and help you as much as we can. So questions on this. Yeah. First of all, this is gold. I mean, y'all answered so many questions Thanks. proactively. So thank y'all. Good. That. When you were talking about... Um, when, when I you think they're recording, so we'll do the microphone thing. Okay, so when you were talking about making sure that you're working more on your ministry than in your ministry, and you were talking about spending your time, well, what is it that you your your typical week looks like as far as the sermon prep, these meetings, or having smaller meetings than just the one big staff meeting? Like, what does a typical week look like doing that? Monster of Sundays. Good question. Um, I, well, again, that has changed through the years. Uh, in terms of the of our church size and and our staff size, so our schedule is not necessarily um, scalable in terms of what like what I do right now or what Peter does right now. So we can talk about that, but let me actually give you a few big thoughts on this. 
Um, so here's the first one. You need to think in turn as you're planning your weekly schedule at whatever level, you need to think about large, creating large blocks of uninterrupted time that your creativity, your message prep will only be as good as it can be for God if you're creating large blocks of uninterrupted time. So for me, I write on Mondays and Wednesdays. I take Fridays off, Fridays are my Sabbath, and we have church on Saturday afternoon uh, and night and then all day Sunday, whatever. So um, we work weekends, we take Friday off. So uh, Monday is a work day for me, and I have done that for years, and I kind of feel like Monday is like a comma and, and I'm just like, I'm in the zone, I'm thinking about it, and I'm tired, and I'm like, well, if I'm going to feel this bad, I might as well get paid for it. But I've just kind of ch- honestly channeled that to just say, man, that I'm just going to believe God to just keep writing. So I try and write four to five weeks ahead in message prep. Um, and so on Mondays, I'm warming that up. So I have, from, from the moment I wake up until 3 p.m., I have nothing. And my assistant, Lisa, will leave me alone. To, we do not text. We don't, she doesn't ask questions. It is not. I, and I turn my phone off, silent, like turn off the messages, the bing bong. I don't do messages on my Mac. I, can't, I just can't do it. I have to focus. But when you can get large uninterrupted blocks and then I make a list, make a to-do list of what you got to get done in these three hours. Work fits in the time we give it. And so listen, I don't, and I don't think this is true with you either, Peter. uh, We don't spend 15 or 20 hours a week on our message. Um, there's just a church to lead. Uh, and, and there are guys who do that and I'm good for that. And I praise the Lord for them. Um, that's not my flow. Uh, it's also because we cross the 2000 sermon barrier. And so every sermon we're preaching is built upon 20 hours. So, so let me keep moving. So then time management wise. So Tuesdays and Thursdays are meeting days. So Monday afternoon for me from three to five is executive leadership team. So we spend two, at least two hours a week together with our top seven, you know, our executive leaders. And then um, Tuesday was one hour, all staff meeting. So again, make this fit. And then we do one-on-ones. So everyone we supervise, um, those are one-on-one meetings. Uh, We meet Sarah and I lead together. Uh, and so we split up our one-on-one meetings uh, and, you know, divide and conquer on that of who reports to who supervisor-wise. And so we're in a lot of meetings, um, but we're in the right meetings that we need to be in um, be, to, because culture is, is caught. And so there's just a certain part of cultural heart that has to be disseminated. And that's just really hard to do if you're not present. Uh, as a leader. So anything you'd add to that from a time uh, management level, Peter? Uh, yeah. Uh, I First off, I did, if you just Google or if you go to peterhaas.org, uh, I wrote a blog called Time Parasites. And I, I wrote a blog on how periodically I, I have a thought process of how I prune my schedule. And every time I do it, I can prune my schedule by about 30%, which sounds kind of funny, but it, it also, it's amazing how many dumb things we all do in a week that we Absolutely. don't need to. It's true. And I also know pastors that preach way too often. I'm down to 28 Sundays a year. Now, do I preach more than that? Of course I do. I probably preach uh, 90 sermons a year, but I don't do them. I, I'm doing a lot of them on leadership to my staff. Right. And, and so 28 Sundays. Now, how do you do that? Well, you got to shift, you got to prune, you got to delegate. And so that's why I wrote that blog on how to do that. And that's why Matt and I tag team a lot. I'll, I'll even play his videos in my church. Okay. Even with thousands coming, uh, I wean them off of the need for a live preacher 
because that's a luxury our church can't afford. They need more leadership, not just more pampering. And so ultimately, <laughs> I uh, I get them. I and, and if the spiritual food is good, they don't care if it's live or video, okay? They, they'll always whine about it when they get the option. Um, but we just remove that yes, option from do. them. And so, so eventually I was able to get my preaching because ca- I couldn't afford to bring in a lot of guys. Now we can. Um, but, but even when we couldn't, I still would try to get, because I, I need to be working on my ministry and maybe you're not a senior pastor. You still have weekly time parasites. There's right. a whole bunch. If you just right. listed everything you did in a week, I guarantee you, you could immediately check off about 15% is totally useless. Another 15%, you could look at it and say, you know what? So-and-so could do 80% of the quality. Yep. Check, delegate. 80% of the quality, delegate. 80% of the quality, delegate. That's my threshold. Okay, because nobody can do it as good as you. Right. <laughs> Amen. You are far surpassing. Awesome. It's, anyway. Great yeah. thoughts. Find this. He's like, this is good. Shut her down. No, it's, this is great. Y- yeah, go ahead, man. Line is not your Hey, I love you. I got you. Right. I, you got this. 
What's going on in you? What's the fear? Because that's an irrational fear. What's going on in you? Like now we can pastor them because it's good, like, man. man, this is a, so again, there's that, which is logistical, which is so right and so good. But if it's a heart thing, a fear thing, they just pastor them through that yeah. and be like, no, I trust you. And even if it blows up, I got your back. We, there's not, you are not going to sink the ship. I promise right. I, we got this. We'll get through it. I trust you. Please start trusting yourself. Right. Great, great. So yeah, good. you had one. That's Go ahead. Do you have any other regularly scheduled weekly meetings? I'd love to hear what your what your weekly plan looks like. Yeah, we we do. Um, and again, they they all center around those strategy decision making. You know, so so and then for us at our level, you know, we're, we've got planning meetings. So you know, you're building strategy, long term strategies for things like next level leadership conference. So there's a planning meeting for that, or there's a this or whatever. And then there are church people that want to meet with you. And so you know, there, there's that, that that happens from time to time as well. So you know, it's they're all going to live in those one of those four convers you know places and let me by the way parenthetically because it was in the notes and i didn't say it we both lead with our wives so our wives are both co-lead pastors of of our churches and so by way of culture dissemination and everything we're talking about from an executive level the truth of the matter is the only reason they put our names on this work breakout is because we're better known than our wife's names. Like our wives should have taught this breakout. That's all I'm telling you. Like they're, they're at Ark Women right now. Like, but we lead with our wives and like my wife oversees nine people. Like she's a beast. She's an unbelievable executive. She is so gifted and, and Carolyn is the same way. And so like, so just by way, and again, that's our wife's unique calling. We're not putting that on anybody. That's our calling. And our, so we lead together as married couples. What other meetings would you say? Well, Peter? first off, I'm, I'm, rather introverted. I actually like to be in front of my computers and my books and uh, obsessing over the crazy strategy. So I do tend to prefer to like being in offsite meetings where we're doing big strategy. Um, I'll, I, I do love showing up and pastoring. So I like the relational meetings, but everything else kills me. I mean, I, it drains the life out of me. And so thankfully, I'm able to escape most meetings because Nate Puccini and my wife essentially run the church. Okay, so when people ask me... And so, I escape those meetings because my wife runs the church. For real. Which She's is the true. Best pastor which got. is true. But even between Matt and I, so it's interesting because he's, he's more extroverted than me. He likes more direct reports, whereas I like less direct reports. And so there is a certain style of... of now, early on in the church, I couldn't afford to get out of meetings. Correct. Right. I had yes. to, we both had to torture myself in DNA <laughs> meetings to get it so that it's ready to Absolutely. scale. And then Absolutely. eventually over years, yep. I reaped great staff who I trust to do a heck of a lot of stuff. And Absolutely. then I don't have, so I, I don't even, my, my meeting schedule is not the one you want to learn from. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's short. Yeah. I'll go ahead in the back, standing up. In my opinion, not necessarily. I, I think, no, I think it's okay. I mean, I think I, you need to meet with the person that you're supervising. Okay. And then now you may need to bring, like you need to meet with them often. Like when Sarah will hire one of our new executives, when Craig came on a few years ago, she literally was like, 
you and I need to be spending five hours a week together for the first 90 days that you're here. Like, because it's, yeah. Yeah, I got to dip yeah. you in that culture. Like you got to get inside my heart for this organization big time. And then, and I would say then, and you may want to be meeting, you know, with that whole, like the, the person you oversee and then three or four, like that team, the next team that that person she leads meet with all six of them once a month or once every three weeks. So, so, so again, just prioritize in whatever season you're in, think through, here's the reproducible principle, think through who needs my presence and why. And so, so I think if you can use that as your filter it from season to season, every 90 days or whatever, then that that'll help you know who I should be meeting with. But no, do I wouldn't meet with the person too. I, or if you do, then that person's the middle's got to be in there too. So she can hear your heart. That's the, where the accountability comes from. And that's where we get sideways, by the way. If we go around the structure, now all of a sudden the accountability person right. is not in the meeting to hear you say it. And so they can't keep the person that's two layers down accountable to you. That's we big. micromanage until they've earned the right to have the freedom. If we give too much freedom up front, then we're always coming back to moralizing them by taking the ministry Absolutely. away from them and then wrecking what they did. It's always harder to do it that way than it is to put the time in up front. Question? Go ahead. Yeah, as an executive, I have a question for you. I yeah. love the sports uh, uh, metaphor. Uh, metaphor that you gave earlier. Whenever you, whenever you say that you don't want to ever make the mistake again of only having one quarterback, yeah. obviously within my church we have... A children's pastor that's 18, but then my community pastor is 65. My youth pastor is 27. I'm 32. But yep. My lead pastor is 60. So there's a massive dynamic of age, and we've got other staffing as well. So my question is, is number one, how do you replicate the concept of developing quarterbacks? But then yep. secondly, on the backside of that, what does the mentorship look like from an executive position on training up an 18-year-old children's pastor who's absolutely just doing an incredible job but then having the influence in the life of a 65-year-old man who's been in ministry longer than I've been alive. Brilliant question. And here's, first off, you don't have to train multiple quarterbacks if you're not adding services or, or adding campuses. Your team may be the perfect fit for the size of your church. Now, obviously, we all want to grow our churches. Therefore, we all want to scale. In order to scale, um, Greg Surratt really taught me how to do this. By He taught me the little uh, standard operating procedure acronym called IPODs, I-P-O-D. Um, and they're the four DNA types of uh, DNA per ministry. And so um, IPOD stands for imperatives, preferences, optionals, don'ts. Imperatives, preferences, optionals, don'ts. Every ministry of your church should have like a a manual of iPods, imperatives. Dudes wear shoes on our worship band, okay? Um, That's what I want, okay? Preferences. I prefer a little more like Hillsong Young and Free Vibe, less Bethel, but I, uh, you know, it's, I, I, it's a preference, okay? And then there's other things, optionals. You can do this or you can do that. And don'ts are imperatives just in the inverse. Sometimes it's, it helps just to have the don'ts, okay? So every ministry needs to have a, a, an ongoing curated list of iPods that do not exist in your head or the leader's head, but exists in this document. And then that document needs to be taught. If you, just like we do growth tracks for our church to integrate new members. If you think about it, every ministry in our church should have a growth track that is teaching iPods on a regular basis. And what it does is it's constantly 
expanding the playbook in the heads of more people, even if they're volunteers. And so even when you lose a person or you got to reassign a person, your whole playbook doesn't implode because there's multiple people who know. Right. So that's how you'd scale it. And I would say uh, it's it, you want to create a culture of multiplication among your leaders. So for us at Next Level, if you were to follow us around for a month, be in our staff meetings, whatever, you would feel that we're constantly talking about tap a shoulder. We're constantly talking up, down, and sideways. So it, again, age just doesn't matter here. But it is about who do you know, who you're bringing up behind you, because uh, because it is we do want to scale, and because people do move away. And so we have to constantly be creating a culture of reproduction, culture of multiplication, where we're casting vision to our team. You're not the end. Who are you bringing with you? And then that's where you really start to break down. And, and this is where I think as your church grows and matures, one of the ways I think you're picking this up, but let me see if I can say it out loud. It's got to get out of your head and your heart on the paper. Yeah. You can't reproduce what they can't see. And so when your church is smaller and younger, they just, by proximity being near you, they just go, oh, yeah, I pick up on that. Well, that's just the culture of the way. That's the way Matt and Sarah do it. That's the way Matt and Sarah do it. Well, now we have, like, three locations that are 30 minutes apart. People can't physically see Matt and Sarah do it. They're not in those meetings anymore. And there's seven layers of somebody leading a meeting representing our heart. So so you got it's got to get out of your head, out of your heart, onto paper so that you can reproduce it. And that's I think that's the tediousness of build systems, build strategies, build strategies, build the iPods, that idea, that's that plays to that. Yes, go ahead. basketball team March Madness uh, so communication all of those different things but I think I recognize part of uh, the thing is when you're smaller smaller team we can make changes so much faster we have an idea we want to fix a problem we can, we can fix it in that meeting immediately a yep. minute that week and I, so can you talk to me about like the pressure of the pace and do you have to change your I guess expectations as your team grows, how you have to communicate, how does that change your pace and, and some of that decision? Oh my goodness, without a doubt. I, that is probably one of the biggest things about about what you're describing. Um, so, so when it comes to team, five categories of team, ready? There's cross-country runners. So some of you, you just started out and it's just you and your dog. Like you are the only team member, like you're the cross-country runner. Okay, and, and so you're just all alone. Then you become a golf foursome. Mm -hmm. And a golf foursome, everybody watches everybody play every shot. And so you're all playing 18 holes together, and everybody's watching while he's hitting. I'm standing watching, and I go, nice shot. And then we walk to the next guy's ball, and he hits. Golf foursome. Then you become a basketball team, which is 12. And here's the thing, but there's a starting five. So the people start to get a little more specialized. Well, this guy's made to be a center. This guy's made to be a kid's whatever. This guy's made to do worship. This guy's made to be a forward. This guy's made to bring the ball down the field or the court and be a point guard. So you're a basketball team. Then you become a baseball team. And a baseball team has 25. A major league baseball team has 25 people. And pitchers suck at hitting and everybody's okay with it because we don't pay you to hit we pay you to pitch so specialization gets even more detailed in other words here's how you, we you drop slashes you come on you hire somebody and they're the janitor slash worship guy slash youth pastor slash kids slash your kids babysitter on friday nights for your date night like okay well they got five slashes. well as you grow you take away slashes 
And so that a baseball team has very few slashes. Now watch this. The fifth category is a football team. They travel with 53. An NFL team has 53 players. There's an offense, defense, and special teams. When they travel, they're in three different buses. And when the offense is on the field, the defense is huddled up on the sideline talking and being coached. They're not even watching what the offense is doing. So at every level that you're making the jump with your team in those five categories, man, your communication, your, your systems, how things get done, all has to be rethought because all five of those are sports, but none of them are the same. And if you try and, and communicate as, as a baseball team like you're a basketball team, you're going to go, whoa, wait, wait, hold on. In baseball, the defense holds the ball. And it's this big. In basketball, it's this big. And it's hardwood. And why are you wearing a tank top? He's wearing long pants now and cleats. You're wearing gym shoes. What's ha- what? They're both sports. Completely Matt, we different. To, we used to golf, though, man. Right. It and feels different. We used to have that one We used to watch meeting, the, every shot together. And we'd play and remember. And we were all in one van. And now we're in two buses. Something's yep. changed. So it's, so, so it's, it's really big. Okay, we've got a couple minutes left here. Uh, sorry, there's one more back here. Go ahead, man. Yep. Do you want to? And, 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 and in that, in that, like, okay, once the, the seven meet and break, do you find yourselves having to be in one of those seven meetings too with them? Good question. So, who are your seven and who do they oversee? I don't have seven. Okay, I thought you said seven. Uh, I he do. Has seven. I do. I have two, and then underneath the two, we have, I, yeah, we have department leaders. We, it's called span of care, how many people you have underneath you. Every organization, if you're extroverted, you like a lot of direct reports. If you're not, you don't want a lot. There's no right or wrong other than, is it working? And that's the question is, is it working? And are you rethinking your meeting structure every so many months, which is what we're always doing. So, so yeah, I'll give you my seven. So Sarah and I co-lead together. So the two of us are two of the seven. Then, so we have five executive pastors. So we have operations who oversees building facilities, HR, finance, operations. We have um, engagement, which is all things discipleship. So small groups, missions, uh, empowerment track, freedom curriculum, everything that lives in people, discipleship is, is empowerment uh, or engagement. Uh, next gen, which is birth to 18. Um, and we have executive creative arts, which is worship production, media, web, blah, 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 marketing. Uh, and then we have um, basically our executive campus pastor. So he oversees all of our campus pastors. So one of them we needed campuses represented at the decision-making table. So those are our five categories. So here's the essence. At your executive level, everything's got to be represented. So there can be, and then I represent our next level relational network, which is our coaching network that we have 87 churches in today. I'm pointing at them because they're two of our awesome ones. So, uh, so, so those are the seven. And then are we in those meetings? Um, no, the, every one of them have their own teams. Each campus has its own staff team. And so everything then that we're in is just, is we manage, Sarah and I manage those, those five people, and then they manage everybody else that falls down from us. Make sense? Was this helpful for everybody? Is it good? Okay. Okay. Good. We're going to take advantage of all this, by the way.
Yeah, and and obviously, if you guys want more information, we're both pumping it out all the stinking time on our social media. So let me just pray it out. Father, I just thank you for this group. Lord, you see all their needs. I pray for a spirit of wisdom just to fall on each one of them as they go throughout today. Divine appointments, divine conversations to solve every one of your kingdom needs. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.